my first exposure to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu was two, uh, was uh, 1994. That was a that was a Machado when seminar. I was four years old. As a Machado seminar. I mean, I'm a you know brown belt now and a, a middle aged mediocre brown belt at that because I'm not home that often. I don't get to train that much. But that being said, it, it's uh, I think BJJ is a and I think you'd agree with me agree with me uh, with this being a fighter. It's a part of the solution, but it's not the solution. hundred percent. I agree with that. hundred percent. And I, and I think if there were if there, if there were there was any way to describe what I do to your audience, it would be like MMA with guns and knives. That's what it would be like. And, and, and we're always researching things and looking at new things to see if we can improve the art and make it better. So what he means by part of the solution is when me and him roll, I can usually get the better of him a little bit. Yeah, It's still close, but I can usually edge it out. Now, there's been times where we've trained and – he said, he gave me the rubber knife and said, start with the knife, try to kill me. And it takes about 10 seconds for him to kill me with the knife. <laughs> if he starts with the knife, it's not even a full second. So that's how big the difference is. So I see what you mean by saying it's not 100% what you need. Everybody, I'm here with Craig Douglas, owner of ShivWorks. Uh, let everybody know what that's about or what that is. Sure, man, and uh, good to be here and connect with your audience. So, uh, ShivWorks is a brand of training and products that I started in 2003 when I was still a police officer here locally, and uh, it represents about 18 years of work in applying combat sports to pistols, knives, and self-defense and, and oddball niche tactical situations. Uh, we span 45 states in the United States, 11 countries outside of the U.S., four branches of the military, five federal law enforcement agencies, and some uh, Department of Defense organizations. So I know you said you started out as a police officer. How did you get moved into this? Well, it was interesting. I had a 21-year police career here locally, and uh, most of that time was spent in narcotics, and I had a two-year undercover stint where that's all I did for that two-year time period was uh, buy drugs, sell drugs, prostitution operations, stolen property gigs, and I had some things that happened to me uh, buying drugs, particularly in cars, that there was not a tactical solution for, and I'd never been trained how to deal with, and, and the training of the era really didn't, there, there were no solutions. So I had to kind of come up with this stuff from ground one. And when I came out of UC work, um, late 1998, and started investigating this problem and created kind of a local fight club with some other police officers who were interested in- You did? Yeah, yeah, who were interested in that kind of oddball niche work. And we, we took a collection of Training equipment, um, most notably simunitions, which are kind of like little paintballs that go in a duty pistol and allow you to basically get as close to a gunfight as you can without being in one. I think I got shot by one of you those. Did. <laughs> you did. You did. And uh, we used that, and we used uh, boxing headgear and gloves and, and protective glasses and just kind of started going at it. And that was probably about the time that the, the UFC is maybe – five years old and if we remember what the contest looked like then it was super interesting in that it was it was kind of primitive compared to what we look at today and it looked like a weird martial arts tournament with yeah. dudes showing up and kung fu uniforms one boxing gloves one bo yeah stuff like that you know but but what we saw for the first time pretty empirically and i can remember when the ufc came out it, it kind of turned the martial arts world on its head 
and it pretty much empirically showed what didn't work and what didn't, and, and it showed the same patterns of failure and success. So I thought that that pressure-based, no-holds-barred model was a good lens to examine some of these problems that I've run into in my undercover work. And basically, that's kind of what led me into combat sports and adapting combat sports to some of these successful end states that we had figured out organically in fight clubs. So we struggled for two and a half, three years on, on trying to figure out who, who is we? Local guys here. There were some. Uh, Ken Thomas was one. There were uh, there were there were a few from Gulfport PD, a few from Biloxi, and we used to just get together and put the stuff on and just kind of go at it, practice you know? and train. Yeah, and 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 so y'all like the Bruce Lee of this, just figuring it out, <laughs> just figuring it out, and and it was it was really interesting. We were all much younger, obviously, than I am now. <laughs> And uh, we, were, we were willing to willing to risk injury and, and just see what worked and what didn't. And it, at first, we didn't even know what we were looking at, right? I mean, it was just, okay, well, that worked, that didn't. We didn't know why it worked. And, and it took a, a couple of years to, rig, to, to figure out the patterns for success. And then once we did, we figured, oh, well, wrestling and Brazilian jiu-jitsu seem to be really good pathways to get to these successful end states that we had figured out just by, you know, beating yeah. each other up. So that, that's kind of what it led. And the first class I taught uh, open enrollment was actually a knife class in 2003. And then uh, it's been going ever since. It started off just as a, a part-time interest business. It wasn't really, I wasn't looking at making money at it. It was just people were, were, I started writing about it online and people started getting interested. And then that led to, hey, can you do a DVD? Hey, can you help us design some knives? All from a blog? Pretty much, pretty much an old internet form. And I, I, I mean, there was no business model on, on. Yeah, and I remember the internet back then wasn't. No, this is, this is pre Facebook. This yeah, is pre social yeah. media. This was the old V Bulletin software, the, the, the. Blockbuster days. Yeah, pretty, pretty <laughs> much, man. And it, it just turned into a um, it turned into a roadshow with me traveling around with all this equipment and doing Fight Club locally and and I I started getting a much broader base of people, athletes, non-athletes, old people, young people, um, guys who were in a high-risk profession, regular people. So I got a ton of data as far as figuring out the best way to do this and the time format that I had and kind of develop what what now is pretty formalized and pretty successful as far as a, a system for getting a pistol out on a guy that's right on top of you is and, and the word I used to describe it is entangled so a clincher or ground fight and and then doing that in oddball niche space like like vehicle interiors or or you know tiny little bathrooms all the places again that I had I'd been stuck um you know, working drugs and something would blow up into my face and, and there, there was no training modality. There was no answers. So I had to literally start from ground zero. So I'm surprised that you're not a black belt right now in jujitsu. Well, it's, it, it's interesting because I, I, why, so I, my first exposure to Brazilian jiu-jitsu was, two, uh, was uh, 1994. That was a that was a Machado when seminar. I was four years old. As a Machado seminar, right? And, and well, and and here's the thing: my career path, you know, I had two years of undercover work, and and I did wasn't training anything in that period of time. Then, back and forth. Um, I, I think I'm certainly loyal. I mean, I'm a you know brown belt now, and a, a middle aged mediocre brown belt at that because I'm not home that often. And I don't get to train that much. But that being said, it, it's. Uh, I think BJJ is a, and I think you'd agree with me. Agree with me uh, with this being a fighter. It's a part of the solution, but it's not the solution. One hundred percent, I agree with that. One hundred percent. And I, and I think if there were if there, if there were there was any way to describe what I do to your audience, it would be like MMA with guns and knives. That's what it would be like. And 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 we're always researching things and looking at new things to see if we can improve the art and make it better. So what he means by part of the solution is when me and him roll, I can usually get the better of him a little bit. Yeah. It's still close, but I can usually edge it out. Now, there's been times where we've trained, 
And he said, he gave me the rubber knife and said, start with the knife, try to kill me. And it takes about 10 seconds for him to kill me with the knife. <laughs> if he starts with the knife, it's not even a full second. So that's how big the difference is. So I see what you mean by saying it's not 100% what you need. There's a bunch of different stuff in there. And back in the day, you did show me some of the car stuff. Some yep. of the, what do you call it? 3D? Yep. It's like jujitsu in a cube. Yeah, man, it's crazy how it, you'd wrap the, the seatbelt around my neck and it's crazy. It's super interesting, man, and that's that's what uh, that's what interests me. So I I more than anything now consider myself like a, a motor skills instructor. And I'm not loyal to a particular system, whether it's wrestling or jujitsu or boxing or or other things that are more esoteric. But what I am loyal to is a constant process of pressure testing and doing that in novel unusual space so one of the interesting things about brazilian jiu-jitsu in a car and i've described that is basically it's bjj in a cube so it's 3d space so what that space does is it completely turns the art of jiu-jitsu into something else that's probably between jiu-jitsu and rock climbing so now when you're in 3d space and you get your back taken and, and you get your back taken back taken in mat space and that's not a big or that's a huge deal right when you get your back oh, taken, yeah. you can't get your back taken we know that if you get your back taken you can't fight um he's got a significant advantage all four of his limbs are against none of yours because you're not facing him and if we put it in an mma context well you're getting punched in the back of the head put in a street fight context in open space you know you're getting punched in the back of the head he could be knifing you however now in the car, when I can do things like take my feet and put them on the door, drive you backwards and crush you into the B pillar, and then use my arms and my head and my shoulders to put even more pressure down on top of you, it completely changes the hierarchy of positions. So now jujitsu turns into something else simply because of the environment. And I'll, and I'll give you another example of what combat sports evolve into or out of and why it's really important to maintain this laboratory of the constant experimentation. So if there's anything that the UFC specifically gave the combat sports world that was different, what do you think that would be? What would you say? Mm, making it to where it's not just a singular martial arts form but 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 we were doing valley contests and valley tuda oh, contests valley in brazil you know for for many 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 years right that that no holds barred mentality has been around forever but what was it about the ufc that made it distinct from any other contest i don't know because they already had no weight classes it's the cage it's the environment we had a much like i experienced in the real world, in a car, when we added the cage, we had a solid vertical interface with a solid horizontal interface. And prior to the UFC, there really was no such thing as wall work. So wall work, as it applies to MMA, is is or what we now call MMA, is is recent that's you know if you consider mma something now that is truly homogenous and not inter, not not unidisciplinary like it used to be where you, you went in an mma gym and you had a boxing coach you had an mma you had a, uh, a wrestling coach a jiu-jitsu coach and they all did their thing but they didn't really interact with each other and guys were kind of just left a founder to put it together on their own and and they had a mishmash of weird drills with a weird set of equipment right mm -hmm. so because you can't grapple with boxing gloves on but you can't hit real hard with mma gloves so you know we struggle with all these different ways to train and you still to, do and you still do right and and it's the same way in in, in what i do in self-defense but what's interesting about the uh ufc is that if we think about mma as being homogenous within the past let's say 15 years let's give it 10 years of development or 20 yeah let's say 15 years 15 years of, of relatively sophisticated wall work well now that 
MMA is kind of considered the baseline for how to fight. There's been a whole generation of kids that have been raised, and that's what fighting looks like. It doesn't look like weird kung fu. Now what we see are elements of, say, the special operations community within the Army and the Navy, and within what they do, close quarters battle. So you have four guys with night vision and armor and you know uh, rifles that hit a room at the same time. Um, it's dark, there's smoke everywhere. A guy gets hit by a guy that um, clenches him and crashes him and he goes to the ground. Well, if we look at the tactical environment, if those guys are shooting in the middle of that room and you've gone down in the middle of that room, the last thing you want to do is stand up into another operator's sector. So, in a lot of these cases, what they figured out is even with a guy on top of them, getting back to the wall and using basically MMA wall walking to get up, peel that guy off of him or pin him in where another guy can come in and shoot that dude, that's, that's where a lot of guys are going. So, it, it's super interesting to see what that contest, the UFC, the specificity of the environment did to create the niche subject area of wall work and how that has come full circle in intertactical environments where it's absolutely relevant in an environment like close quarters battle. Yeah. So it yeah man it's 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 super interesting and it's it's there there are all kind of places that this and, and it's still in its infancy you know I've been I was the first guy to get on the road with basically paintballs and put people in cars and have them fight and, and be publicly available and start to develop what now is a, a body of work, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And more and more guys are getting into it. When I first started this, it was like fat old gun guys who couldn't fight that were trying to struggle with the best way to get their gun out when a guy younger and stronger than him was on top. Now what's happened is that now that combat sports is more prolific and there are younger guys who are getting into the CCW market and are interested in owning guns and things like that or carrying guns because they, you know, see it's not a safe world with other riots and so on and so forth. Oh, yeah. They start looking around for firearms training and then they see what I do and it looks the most like what they do. So now, almost 20 years later, it's not uncommon to have two or three Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts in a class but they don't know which end like the bullet comes from, and and you know I have to like they don't point that that way, you know, and, and we have to get them squared away that way. So it's not it's not about teaching them how to fight, but it's about teaching them how to be safe with a gun and fight with a gun. So it's it's super cool, man. It's it's a I love what I do. It's a lot of fun. It's it's still I'm still curious about it, and um, I'm still not satisfied with the way it looks, even though it's my life's work. So I guess it's like jujitsu. You, I mean, there's always something new you could learn off of that. Yeah. Like, I mean, just from the stuff you've shown me in the car and everything, I, I mean, I can only imagine how much stuff you have forgotten that I don't even. Yeah. And, and how much stuff, you know, and that, that's why I try and surround myself with good guys. You know, uh, you, my guys that are still curious about stuff, guys that are interested, uh, Scott Oates, who uh, has been on the road with me lately. He's a former uh, SEAL, and he's a third-degree third, third degree black belt under Sala Hibero. He's probably one of the top five guys in the Hibero organization. Oh, yeah, Sala's a beast. Good, good dude, man. And uh, there are just more and more guys looking at this and and figuring out, you know, all the all the applications of combat sports as they apply to tactical environments. And that's, that's probably the reason that I'm not a black belt in jiu-jitsu is because – I, I spend all my time, you know, playing with guns and knives. That uh, you know, I still, uh, I still struggle with guard passes. So. Not, not a black belt in jujitsu, <laughs> but you're a black belt in killing somebody and saving your own life. You know, and and that that's what interests me most. I mean, I'm I will hopefully at some point, you know, uh, work towards getting my. I'm, I'm working now, but get my black belt in jujitsu. But it's um one of the things that happened to me in my martial arts career and I've been doing martial arts for a long long time I've done every silly martial art you can oh, yeah. possibly do <laughs> you know and I became very loyal to those martial arts I became very bound to those martial arts and I would only see the solutions to problems through the lens that they provided me and the real world taught me very quickly that my lens was flawed yeah so now 
I'm I'm very reticent to be beholden to a martial art and to let it control me. I don't want to do that. So, and, and that's not an excuse for just being a brown belt, you know, after all the years that I've been doing BJJ on and off. But no, good. I'm good. But at the same time, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm loyal to the problem and I'm loyal to the truth and I'm loyal to reality. And I'm always looking to, to make sure that I'm being true with things. I see a lot of stuff, and I'm sure you do too, in jiu-jitsu that, you know, when you think about how that relates to MMA, you're like, eh. No, oh, man. When I first moved down here, uh, I mean, Mike would teach stuff that I was like, I would never use that in MMA. Mm-hmm. And he's gotten a lot better about that over the years of him coaching MMA that he's like, yeah, I, I see why you wouldn't use that and why not to do this and that. Right. And some stuff, I mean, some stuff's just not practical in MMA that works really good in jiu-jitsu. Just like some stuff is really good in jiu-jitsu that's not good in real life. Like Absolutely. Yeah. When, you're, when, I, when you'd give me the knife and I would try to kill you and you'd stop me, you made you weren't worried about controlling my hips. You went straight to the arms, made sure I couldn't use my arms, yep. found where that was, don't let me reach to my belt. So stuff like that. I mean, it's complete opposite of jujitsu, but the controlling where you're putting your pressure and everything might be the same. But there's right. similar similarities, but a lot, a lot that's different that actually goes in the real world or MMA just from jujitsu. Sure, sure. Do you think there are? Um, do you think there's a problem with focusing on jujitsu exclusively, but fighting MMA? Do you think an MMA fighter should strictly train MMA? Well, let's let's take a real big icon, the gi. Do you think MMA fighters should be training in? The I gi? love training in the gi. Yeah, I do too. But that's how I started. Now, I don't get to train in the gi a lot right now, just because we're so busy at work. And then when I'm not working, I'm working at the gym, so I don't. Right. Ha- I'm either teaching the class teaching, myself, right. so I don't get to train. Get but I would like to. I'd like to train gi as much as I do no gi. Yeah. Even though now when I have a fight coming up, say it's the. Last two weeks, last two weeks of the fight camp, I'm only going to train uh, no gi, just right. because I need to make sure I'm not trying to reach, go for stuff that I would go for on a gi and everything. Right. But I don't think it's bad. You just have to know in your brain that you can't do some of this stuff that you're doing in this gi in the MMA match, and don't go to your back because you're not going to be able to get this bow and arrow or whatever from here. You need to. I don't know. I I do a lot. I I do my jujitsu a lot different gi and no gi and MMA, just because I know what I can use. So if I'm on the bottom and gi, I know I have all these loop chokes and everything. So I'll be on the bottom a lot more. Right. And no gi, I prefer to be in the guard or in half guard. Half guard is probably my favorite. Okay. Just because from half guard, I can get to literally everywhere and get to your back and get anywhere that I need to be. But also have a good control over you, especially in MMA. I have that leg clamped down, just like Randy Couture. He'd always he'd prefer half guard than side control. I would prefer that a hundred percent in the yeah. fight. But um, I I personally I don't think it's a problem. But you just have to know that you can't take everything that you're doing in this gi into MMA. Yeah, and I think the the current thought process on human performance shows that recency is a big deal what you've done the most recent oh yeah so they 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 use the word recency to describe that so in other words how how close is the recency though like what's that time period well and that's what we don't know so in other words i think if you are if you know you're going to an event like a fight obviously your training it's very specific for that fight right and you're you're really not a generalist anymore the problem though with self defense is that you know if you knew there was an event you wouldn't go 100% so, <laughs> 100% so that's that's what's interesting to me about um, a school you know like our school man when when we have a lo- local school and people get into martial arts for all kind of weird reasons you know but historically it was, man, I'm tired of getting sand kicked in my face by the big guy. You know, I'm tired of getting... But it was always about self-defense. It was never about competition. And I think combat sports people have kind of, over the years, shifted away from that. 
you know, that that's even a discussion within the jiu-jitsu community, right? As far as what's relevant towards self-defense and what's not. And, you know, there's probably some older guys in the jiu-jitsu community who are not producing champions who stress how important self-defense stuff is. And then they're younger guys who are like, well, you guys aren't producing champions. Why should we listen to you? Yeah. If you at least had a champion, we'd listen to you about self-defense. And, and it's interesting to me to, 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 to see that, not conflict, but, um, you know, how do, how do schools prepare people for self-defense? How do they prepare them for competition? How do they have, you know, and, and how, how do they manage time? That's the other thing, too. So I think recency, I, I, if I was king for a day, I think if I had a, a five-day week and I had a fixed site probably once a week, once a week, whether it was a competition class, whether it was gi or no gi, I would just walk around. I would start throwing knives uh, at people. <laughs> I'd start throwing training knives at people while they were rolling on the mat, and they not—they're not knowing it's coming. And, and 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 anybody can pick it up. That would be awesome. Anybody can pick it up. That would be awesome. <laughs> I want you to come to the gym and do that. One day. I, I'll do that. And don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Yeah, don't yeah tell anybody. and just see what people do. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then once once they're trying to get you stabbing the next. Are they going to? Well, are they going to ignore it? Are they going to go pick it up and just start stabbing the other guy? You know, it, it's just stuff like that's interesting to watch. Just to to kind of shift mindset a little bit and get people thinking. You know. Oh yeah. So um, and, and I I would probably do some silliness like that once a week. Keep it fun, but at the same time. You know, just remind them, hey, you know, I mean, this is supposed to be a, this is the martial part of the art. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. Ex exactly. No, and it's changed a lot these days because the internet and everything, and people see what Conor McGregor does and how much money he made and everything. Right. And so people are getting into it, not for the martial arts. When I was, when I got into MMA, which was 2010, so it wasn't too long ago, 10 years ago, 11 years ago now almost, um, MMA still wasn't even cool or anything, you know what I mean? Right. So I was doing it just to compete. I like the competition. So I had got done playing football, and I was in college, and I was like, man, I don't want to go play flag football every day and just go lift weights. So right. I got to find some way to compete. And then I found the jiu-jitsu uh, program at Mississippi State, and we started training everything. They had, they had boxing and everything up there as well. So that's how I got into it, just – to compete, not really for the martial arts. I wasn't really getting beat up. Yeah, you wanted to compete, though. Yeah, I like healthy competition. Yeah, sure. I like that feeling of competition. Now, I feel like these days, now that MMA is really big and it's a premier sport, it's on ESPN and everything now. Back then, you could only watch it on like not even FS1. It was barely on there. It was like what was that old. Uh, Fuel, fuel TV yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Like, they weren't really showing it on anything. Right. Now, you can go on the ESPN app and look up every fight almost. But, uh, so people see that and they're like, oh, that's how I'm going to make money or that's what I'm going to do to make money. So, they're right. not in, in it for the competition or for, they're just in there to try to make money. And usually those people don't last, but some of them do. You can kind of tell whenever you watch them fight, they're kind of dickheads in there. Yeah. But. Yeah. I don't know. I. I do it for the competition. I mean, I love the martial arts aspect now, but in the beginning, that's not what I was doing it for. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, it's, it's interesting for me is at 52 to watch how it's shifted over the years. And I, I think it's beautiful as far as the, the competitive aspects of combat sports and, and how prolific that has become. Because, you know, before MMA, I mean, we, we had judo. Yeah. Olympic stuff. We had Olympic stuff, you know, wrestling, boxing, and they were all interdependent and uh, or independent. And then, um, as far as martial arts world, you had uh, I can't remember when Taekwondo became an Olympic sport, but I think that was I think that was the eighties. I think that was the late eighties, somewhere around there. Couldn't tell you. And then, and then you had. Um, you know, uh, the the old PKA karate associations oh, yeah. and then you had uh, American kickboxing and you know, look at a lot if you look at a lot of those guys, um, those are some interesting, like brutal fights before oh, we before we really embraced Muay Thai and knew what Muay Thai was in and, the US. And even in the American kickboxing though, they couldn't use elbows. So, no. I mean it's crazy how no. cr how wild those fights were without elbows. <laughs> I know. I and mean, some of the stuff like Jean Yves Terrio and people like that from that era. Oh, oh yeah. You know, uh, Dennis Alexio, 
you know, who was oh, in yeah. the, who was in the kickboxer movie with uh with um John Claude Van Damme. He played Van Damme's uh, brother. That was Dennis Alexio, who's a legit kickboxer. Oh, I did know that. Yeah. I think Mike's the one that yep. pointed that out to me, though. He was a legit, he was, for his era, he was like the Tyson of kickboxing. Yeah. If you watch his boxing style, I mean, he oh. was real squat and broad and would just wreck dudes. So, I mean, I watched a lot of theirs. I'm more of like a Dutch Muay Thai and, uh, I mean, Dutch kickboxing and Muay Thai fan. Uh, Mike Zampitas. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Ernesto, who's probably one of my Ernesto favorite. Hoos. Just the leg kicks. Uh, if you ever, what was uh, Rombazat or uh, the one that died? No, 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 no. Uh, he's come out and dance and look. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, God, what was that? Yeah, I, I remember him though. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. him, uh, Ernesto, who's all of it, man. Well, they were all good. Just wrecking balls, man. Crazy and. If you could have them back in the day, because back then MMA wasn't really big either. No, it wasn't even really a no. thing. Mm-mm. Imagine some of those guys being oh – it would be crazy. Well, it was funny too when MMA – and to watch what happened with MMA and, and how – and it's not, and you don't even hear these terms anymore, but you used to hear these terms frequently in the old UFCs. Oh, this guy's a ground-and-pound guy. This is a, this guy's a sprawl-and-brawl guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you'd, hear, you'd hear stuff like that, which meant, okay, this is a wrestler that had just enough boxing to get on you and out-wrestle you and beat you up. This was a kickboxer that had just enough wrestling yep. to stay on his feet so he could brawl. That's sprawl even back in, brawl. like, the Chuck Liddell days when yeah. they do all that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's crazy. If, even if you take, like, those guys back in their prime – Chuck Liddell or Matt Hughes or any of them, and you put them against a guy nowadays that's that same level in their prime, they're just not going to be close. They're not even close. It's crazy that the sports evolved that much. I know, I know. But that's the, the and and if we think about how much it's evolved, how much of that evolution has happened over the past decade? That's crazy because it's only been UFC has only been around what 20 ninety years? ninety three. 93, the so. first 27 years, the first UFC was 1993. Mm-hmm. So I saw the one here on the coast in Bay St. Louis where uh, there was there who was, was on that. Uh, that was um, who's the black kickboxer? Um, what was his name? Fought Couture at one point. Can't remember his name. Maurice Smith. I don't remember him. Maurice Maurice Smith, he uh he fought over in Bay St. Louis and I I drove over there and saw it live. Was that like even when Anderson Silva had his first oh, that fight? Was way before that. This was I think ninety five. Yeah. So it was here. I mean and, and again it was just it was like a tough man contest. It had to be in that's it, what, it was it, 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 there were only a few states they could do it. I think the, I think Horry and Gracie was still calling fights Man. at the time. I mean it was it was that was early. That it was early. So, what what kind of like arena or room was it in? Like it literally was like something that you guys would fight in locally now. It, it it was. I that's what's so crazy. It is was crazy. They it was grew crazy. to be as big as they are yeah. and monopolize everything because even when Anderson Silva had his first fight against Chris Lieben, that was in like a little ballroom at the at one a, a casino. It wasn't yeah. even big. There weren't no. even bleachers in there. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I remember that UFC was no bigger than one of our big MMA contests, fights, fights like Ricky did over yeah. at Kyle Sam. No different. That's out. No different. That's crazy. No different. No different. But there was a UFC over in Bay St. Louis. I went with a, uh, I went with uh, my girlfriend at the time and a Gulfport police officer. He brought his wife and we sat on bleachers and you know drank you know cheap beer. Were y'all you know, on tap? So yeah, I mean, it was. It, it seriously was no different than one of our now local big contests. About this, about the same push as far as the amount of people. Were y'all doing what you're doing now back then? No, we didn't even know what we were looking at. It was just no. We were like, so we just did, it was it, it did literally this kind of sway you. It literally it started to. I was like, uh, and again, when you first saw it back then, you really didn't know what you were know what you were looking at right i mean people so even even the audience now is sophisticated because you used to hear the audience when the fights would go to the ground 
and when you look back at them, there were some te- like if you look at a you know a, a Hoist Gracie Ken Shamrock fight. Oh yeah, like UFC. It's all ground. Yeah, and they they start booing because the audience doesn't know what they're looking. They at. still don't know. T- even today, they don't know. I mean, there might be some that are educated and some that do jujitsu, but unless you do jujitsu or you train MMA, you have no idea what you're looking at. You're watching it and it's boring because you don't know what's going on. Yeah. It's, and I used to be the same way before I started fighting. I was like, stand these guys up. This is boring. But once you start to know, you're like, oh man, he's going to go for this. Oh, he needs to trap this. And you, you're like fighting them in your head, right? Like trying to solve a puzzle. Yeah. But, yeah. So, if you don't know what you're looking at, though, like you said, it's boring. So I can only imagine back then with there being so many specialists, not very many. Like you might have had a boxer or a kickboxer, but a lot of wrestlers. I bet yeah. most of those fights were on the ground. They were, and yeah. and people would boo and 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 they imagine. would even and they would and they would stand people up right because they didn't know any better and the, and the rules of the contests were weird. Yep. You know, it's like, well, no action. No, there's action. You just don't know what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. You know, there's plenty of action there. So, it all. Uh, it is interesting. It's um, it's like, I was watching um the CrossFit Games one time with a buddy of mine and his wife, and his wife is an insane CrossFitter, and she's wrapped watching this, and they're trying to make CrossFit like super exciting. Which I don't get watching people exercise as being exciting. The announcers or your friends? So my friends are into it because they're CrossFitters. Well, I'm not a CrossFitter. Yeah. You know, do yeah. powerlifting or whatever, but that I don't do CrossFit. And, and what's this that? Is, this what's, is, what's that? Uh, Danny, don't mean to interrupt you, no? but what's that, Danny? Um, the dude that's off. Uh, he has a mullet. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not trying to be the best person at work, working out <laughs> exactly. and exercising. Exactly. Well, so, and even, and even more, I don't want to watch people exercise, right? That's what the CrossFit Games, to me, yeah, 100%. subjectively is, because you could argue, because I don't know what I'm looking at. But anyway, they're trying to make the, uh, it was like on ESPN 7, yeah. you know, yeah. and they're just sitting there watching it, and I'm like, <laughs> and, they're, and, and they're, trying to make, they're trying to make the contest, the announcers are trying to make, the contest exciting, man. They and got a hard job. <laughs> that, well, yeah, and there are two dudes on uh, on Airdynes, right? There are two dudes on Airdynes, and they're not going anywhere. They're just in one spot on the Airdyne, and all they can say is, "Look at them crushing those calories. Look at them go." I'm like, they're not going anywhere, you know. And finally, I made the mistake. I said, "I don't see how you watch this." And they both got mad at me, and they're like, "These are the most conditioned athletes in the world." And and it was funny, but you could argue that I didn't know what I was looking at because I don't appreciate the conditioning, and I don't appreciate people working out. And you know, I watch sports, and I think you'd agree most people do. And we can translate this to what MMA is and isn't, and how appealing it is. When people watch sport, when people watch NASCAR, they don't, they're not watching NASCAR for the laps. They're waiting for the crash. A hundred percent. They're waiting for the crash. So, and, and you could say the same thing in combat sports too. They're waiting to see some blood. They're wait, it is blood sport. They're waiting to see somebody get split, somebody get knocked out, something, yep. something weird happened, some dude on the ground, you know, oh, shaking, yeah. that kind of thing. Right. Do that straight like it's been poleaxed. But I will say that in, you know, 27 years of watching the contest on and off, you can see that the audience at least has become a little bit more sophisticated as far as respecting what's happening on the ground and being knowledgeable. It's a slow leak, and I don't think you see it nearly as much in local contests, but rarely in the UFC when a fight goes to the ground, it stays on the ground, and there's technical work on You don't hear people boo that much. Yeah. It's rare. And you used to hear that all the time. Agreed. And if you, if you ever watch like a a car that's in Japan or China, they are like really, they're yeah. really knowledgeable over there. So you hear them, nobody's booing. You don't hear right. everybody cheering the whole time. It's, they know it's, exactly what's going yeah, on. Yeah, they're paying attention. To Sophisticated, people. educated Because audience. they've all done martial arts their whole life. That's what mm-hmm. what they grow up doing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Would you rather watch CrossFit or a tennis match? Oh, man. Uh, I'd rather... I'd rather watch porn. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather watch porn than a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. 
CrossFit or a tennis match, I, I, maybe if at least I know somebody's going to throw a fit in a tennis match, like John McEnroe. You know, oh, yeah. Oh, day, yeah. oh, yeah. Somebody's going to show their ass on the court. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I, that's why McEnroe was so popular. At least. It wasn't because he was a great tennis player, which yeah. he was. He was a great tennis player. But at the same time, they knew, I want to see him throw a fit. Yep. I want to see him scream at a judge. Yep. It it was uh, so I I think I'd go for tennis over CrossFit, man. Is he still doing seniors and all that? I think he is. Yeah, I thought I, I think he is. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. At least in the tennis match, something else could happen. Like right, it might get close, and this guy pull this out, and I don't know. But just watching somebody work out, I I I can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it. And I, I just. Probably be people mad at me for saying that, but but it's the truth, man. I mean, it, I, you know, I mean, it, I think the people that attracts, I'm glad they have their sport, if you want to call it that. And, and there's no, you know, no, you said dis- it not me. right? I agree. There's there's no discussion about them being incredibly fit. conditioned athletes yeah. and fit, you know. But they're they're not the strongest. They're not the fastest. Are they? Are they? Second and a half place in everything, sure. And is that a good place to be as far as general purpose fitness? Sure. If if all you want to do is work out, but you know, working out for athletes historically is about winning the contest. Yeah. You know, not winning the workout. <laughs> right. I mean, it it's it's you know, the contest is the end state. The the exercise is the process. Yes. The exercise is not the end state. Yeah. Right. And that's what CrossFit kind of. I think has has become, and I'm, I'm not shitting on. I mean, it's it's. There's no doubt, CrossFit more than anything else has gotten more people into barbells and legitimate strength training than, oh, yeah. than anything. Because prior to Cross, it was also the first exercise system that was unapologetically difficult. Prior to that, prior to CrossFit, all you saw were six minute abs. Yeah, that's true. And Nautilus machines. And it was and between you know going with old school barbell techniques and being unapologetic about it being hard, they they changed a lot of people's lives and I total respect for that. Have you ever done CrossFit? Oh yeah, I've done it. I have not. Yeah, it's. I think when it started, and I've got a lot of friends that were there at, at its inception and have kind of been with it on and off. How did and, it start? Well, it started kind of like Shiverwork started. It started off with just a, a different approach, you know, a, a, a very different approach. And a culture came up out of that approach. And then a business model attached to the culture, and it became wildly successful. So, But not one person, like, made a bunch of – nobody made, like, or monopolized off of that like the UFC did. No, Greg Glassman. He, oh, he uh, up until recently, Greg 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 Glassman is the is the founder and creator of CrossFit. And so, if you named CrossFit, exclu- he got something. Oh, yeah. oh man, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, always oh, somebody. Yeah. And he sold it here recently. He was a he was um, for how much? I don't. I'm not sure. I I think it's. I think it's a few billion. No, I don't doubt that at all. CrossFit's. Uh, it was. It, I think CrossFit was named as one of the top. 40. So we're saying it's not a sport and not this and that, but they're selling for as much as the UFC did. Pretty much. That's crazy. Pretty much. But everybody can do CrossFit. Anybody in the world can do CrossFit as long as you don't have. It's accessible. Yeah. Well, that's what makes, you know, that's what's interesting about MMA, right? I mean, you know, who, how many 40 year old housewives can do MMA? I mean, that takes a lot, right? Especially at the local level. Oh, yeah. I mean, to know you're not getting paid to go in there and get right. punched in the face or elbowed in the face, and you might get knocked out, and you yeah. might have to get stitches. Yeah, that that's what scares people. I don't know. I just I but, think it's fun. But yeah, and to me, that's what makes it exciting, right? There's risk. You have skin in the game. Yeah, and if and there's no skin. What am I? What's the only skin in the game I have is, you know, falling off the freaking airdyne. Oh, I fell. I fell off. Right. I fell off the air down. I broke a finger. Even the other day, I had a guy come in here, and I tried to. There's. They. I got offered to fight the other day, and I was like, "Man, 
I was telling him about it. And he's like, yeah, man, you would have had that fight. It, it would have been an easy win. I said, yeah, man. It's like a hundred. I said, I would have won that hundred percent. He said, well, it ain't a hundred percent. You always have. Ch- they always have a chance to say, you're right. You're right. That's I what said, makes. That's what makes it exciting. Exactly. That's what makes it exciting. That's one of the things that. Uh, that's why the upset. That's why the Floyd Mayweather, Jake Paul, or not Jake Paul, Logan Paul fight's happening. Yep. Just because, what if? What if Logan lands a punch? That's why the Conor McGregor happened. Conor McGregor fight happened. What if Conor landed that punch? And there's a reason they use the language a puncher's chance, right? Yes. Because I mean, when two guys stand there and willingly engage, you know, any given Sunday. Yeah. One I guess little, I guess one little screw up. Floyd's about the the least willing to engage. He, he's right. so good at making you miss. I, now don't he's not running. He's not running around the ring. No, he's, he's not just making you miss. He's making you miss. All right, back to Shiv Works. Yes, back to Shiv Works. Okay. What what are you doing next? What's next? Ooh, I'm done for the year, and then uh, the new year starts. I'll probably do um probably I'll probably do about forty. Weeks on the road total. Teaching, straight? Te- no, not straight. Teaching uh, teach coursework. Um, let's see. Probably, if depending on what happens with COVID, I'm supposed to do a class in Australia. I'm supposed to do a class in Italy. We'll see if those go with uh, all the COVID crazy. And then, uh, you know, as we've talked about, there's an opportunity to do some work with the Navy. Uh, I've done work with the Navy before, and... I'm trying to bring you guys in on some of that, so we'll we'll see if that works. But uh, I'm hoping it works. Yeah, yeah, I am too. Those are uh, you know um, commandos, regardless of where they come from, whatever branch of the service they come from, are fun dudes to work with. They're uh, they're they're super driven, and uh, I think we can do them a lot of good. So that may happen next year. I'm I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that's going to happen. And if that happens, that'll you know be a nice little nice little piece of work man that all of us can get in there so no yeah I, i'm i've actually been offered a few times by a couple of different people of going out and training uh officers overseas and stuff mm-hmm. but i've never had the opportunity as far as work getting off work and being able to go over there right but uh this sounds like something i would really love to do yeah and uh i mean Good learning experience for me as well. Absolutely. As, as well as teaching, but I'll be learning at the same time. Well, and it's a good learn. I think, a, you know, I, and that was one of the things I taught. I, I was going to, you know, really talk about with you and Mike and Odie, um, the guys we're trying to bring in on this thing, is I think it's an interesting place and an interesting way for you to translate and observe what you already know. In other words, what is a – you know, what does MMA look like with guns and knives? What does it look like with, you know, rifles and plate carriers and helmets and night vision hanging off those helmets? And what does that look like when there are three other good guys in the room shooting? You know, what what translates and what doesn't? That's That, that to me, is really the whole, that's the injury. And that's one of the reasons I love Mike, and he's such a good jiu-jitsu instructor for me, is his intense curiosity about the art. Mike... Mike loves jujitsu regardless of whether it's gi, no gi. You know, dudes are slapping each other in the face. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, you know. He, he wants to see the violence. He, you know, it, it doesn't matter what the rule set is. And, and I never will forget one of the things we were talking about. And he made a, it was an offhand remark, but it was brilliant. He said, self-defense is just another rule set. And I was like, wow, that's, that's. I don't get it. What do you mean? Well, when we were talking about the differences with and I think we we had we I brought some knives that day and um I did a private with him and then we'd add some knives and he wanted to look at that and we were we're talking about how things change and he made the remark he said self defense is just another rule set you know now the, the rule set could be there are no rules right but it's just it's another rule set as far as looking at what grappling and fighting is and what grappling and fighting is you can do this but you can't do that well you can do everything now. You know, so oh, yeah. when he when he said that, I thought it was just a one of those moments, very 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 cogent thing to say that uh, you know it's yeah it is it's just another rule set. Yeah, I'm I can see what you're saying because when I get in a street fight, everybody's like, oh well, I'm gonna pull his hair and poke his eye. That's like the last thing that I think about right. just because I'm so right. my mind's so set on. Yeah. The rule set and that everybody I'm stuck in. and everybody that says that everybody that says that doesn't know how to fight. And that's not to say that, that you know, uh, 
so on the eye strike thing, you know, you see dudes that are 400 pounds and sleeveless Cobra Kai geese advocating, <laughs> you know, advocating for eye strike, groin grab and stuff like that. And there's a kernel of truth to that. I mean, we can look at those guys and say that dude can't fight. We look at him, we can watch him move. And oh, say, yeah. 100%. Dude has no athleticism. At, you know, we see all kinds of videos of these weird dudes getting schooled by real fighters, you know, who are just at the, the local amateur level. One good tie kick. Yeah. You know, they're like, huh. you know, they're kind of, <laughs> they're, 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 they're no touch knockout goes out the window. But at the same time, there's a kernel of truth, a little bit. There's a little bit of truth in what they're saying because we see guys in MMA fighters, the best fighters in the world, highly conditioned athletes. When they take a finger poke, oh yeah, it it creates a pause, right? It might be a long pause. It might be a long pause. Now, in in the real world, would that pause be enough to get a gun out? Would it be enough? Would a would that pause be enough to shift the position a little bit so you could get off bottom? Would it be enough? That's, Are you saying like life or death situation? Yeah. Are they going to react the same way as you do in a fight? And MMA we don't. Fight? And we don't know. All right. That's the that's the thing. And 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 because an MMA fight is still a controlled event. Yeah. We don't know. So it, it's interesting that you know I think there's a I think there's a kernel of truth to things like eyes and groin. It it's a tiny percentage, and I've never considered that a primary strategy. I've always considered it that's a that's a that's an accessory to positional work that's an accessory to combat sports it's something that we add to it that augments combat sports but it's not you know poking people in the eyes and punching them in the balls that's not how we fight yeah no yeah that's an addition to right Agreed. that's not how we fight yeah that's not gonna be the only thing you're going for no. not the main thing but, if, but if you need to do it see that's like i said i don't think about that but Going back on, would it be the same in a life or death situation? No, I I can't tell you if it would be or not. The only thing I can say is when you are in a fight, in an MMA fight, if you get hit, like you got hit, uh, say you just hit your hit your head on the wall or something at home. Right. It hurts a lot. Yeah. You don't have the adrenaline going. When you get hit in an MMA fight, you don't feel it nearly. You might not feel it at all, or you, it right. might take a lot of the edge off. Right. So – the eye poke though still hurts the exact same. I can imagine. Right. So I don't know if that would transfer or not. It's and and you don't know and like and, and I think we, what we can say whether it's a, whether it's a fight with a few rules like MMA or fight with no rules like a street match, you don't know. You have no idea how much punishment a human being can take. You have yeah. no idea how fragile a human being is. I mean, because, you know, I'll give you a good example just over, over my law enforcement career of seeing people who were stabbed. I never saw a guy with one stab wound. Never saw a guy with one stab wound, except a couple of times, and both of those were fatalities. Everybody else walked, walked themselves in, usually or were driven by a friend, and they got 60, 60 holes, 60 God. holes in them. Ver, which, which, you know, is a testament to the amazing durability of a human being. And having seen a one hit in the heart or one hit in the femoral with a blade, that killed that person. Yeah. You know? So it, 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 you, just, you just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, there are, there are weak spots on the human body. There are fragile spots on the human body. If you can get to them. Yeah. You know, tell me, tell everybody the one spot you told me if you could stab somebody that you can't, I guess, suit not suture, but uh, perineum, right in the taint, right in the taint, <laughs> right in the taint. It's a bad place because you can't, you can't, uh, can't. It's hard to, you, it's hard to get, it's hard to get wound packing. You material plug up it there. up. <laughs> it's hard to get anything out there, man. It really is. That's a bad put, place put to take a in there. Bad place to get a knife wound or any any wound, a bullet wound. Hope your girlfriend's around. Put the tampon. In. Those are uh, those are the more often than not those are fatal. Yeah. Well, those let me go. Fatal. Let me go. Uh, grab the the knife that you gave me, yeah. and uh, so I can show them, and you can tell them where they can get them, and show them what it's all okay. about, and then we'll go ahead and uh, kind of edge this out. And okay. 
close it off. Cool. All right. So I got one of your practice knives. The right trainer. Uh huh. Yep. Uh, tell everybody how you came about this and what it does. And so this is this is nothing new. They call these uh, push daggers or punch knives, whatever you want to do it, or and, and or however you want to call it. It's a it's a T handle design more or less. Uh, traditionally, uh, I had this one made where it's a, a three finger design, and it, what it does is it goes basically in your hand just like so, and you make a fist. It's super easy to use. You just punch people, and now you're Wolverine. You know. Yeah. So. Um, and I like these for people that don't want to learn, you know, the specifics of knife use. If you already have a boxing skill set, you are a fighter and you, you want a weapon and you want the option of something lethal like a, uh, like a blade, then this is a, this is a good option. You know, they, um, you put this in your hand, you punch just like you normally would with it. It's uh, super, super simple to use. You can slash with it if you want to, um, and, and do esoteric stuff, but it, it, the easiest way to do this is just to, you know, put this in your lead hand or your, your power hand, however you want to carry it. A lot of people will carry these as a secondary to a handgun. So they'll, they'll have the pistol in their strong hand and set their pistol up for a strong hand draw. And they'll set their blade up if they can't get to their handgun for, for an offhand draw. Yeah, that's smart. Or if, or if they get their gun grabbed. You know, a lot of times police officers in a, what's thought of as a weapons retention situation. So if a guy latches onto their pistol, that have this set up on the off side so they can just yank this and start punching it And out you of have face. it to where they can just pull that out of their belt. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Even with this trainer, you can mess somebody up with that. So you absolutely can. And I've got some guys who are working overseas and, and with the government that are actually, and this is the trainer, this is not the live boy. They, pre they prefer the trainer? But they're using the trainer to do things like punch dudes in the hip and punch them in the shoulder to move them. Oh, and, man, and I can't imagine how bad that hurts to get punched yeah, in the hip. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a really good move now tool, you know, that's not lethal and hurts and can wreck somebody but um yeah they're they're using it to good effect so that's one of our knives with shivworks and this and uh several of the other knives i've designed are available at uh shivworksproductsgroup.com that's um one of the businesses where that's the product side of the house we've got our got our cool rash guards in now we've got uh -oh. cool shivworks rash guards yeah i yeah. check that out well Instagram or Facebook to follow? So, yeah. So, uh, South Narc on Instagram. It's my old Instagram handle. And then um, on Facebook, Shivworks and Shivworks Alumni, there's the Shivworks website, which is the training side. And then there's Shivworks Products Group for all the stuff that we make that supports the training. So, that's that's really it, man. I'm all over the place. I'm pretty accessible. And uh, I'm probably doing a class near you somewhere this year. Uh, I think I'll be in, like I said, 40 you'll probably do 40 states be doing classes for that are close to everybody but me you you're gone more than you're here i know i know i am that's why that's why i'm an old slow brown belt <laughs> <laughs> so even though i'm gonna uh i'm still you know i'm still wanting to do a fight next year i'm wanting to premiere in local mma you know you know I'm, where to train I know, man i do we've been talking about this for years i do i do and everybody's been you know alex i want to say it's been two years alex and all you guys been like you should do it and, I want uh, to see you do it. Yeah. Just if anything, keep one of these. In, I keep one of these in the back of your pants. <laughs> in the back of my pants, exactly. Back of my shorts. They won't tell. They won't be able to tell. It just looks like you're punching. I want to do it. I want to do it just because uh, it's a good chance for me to. I have. A, I have. I have no time to focus on myself. I'm always focusing on other people in the business and things like that. And I just want to take, uh, you know, 12, 16 weeks and. And and very very singularly weeks. However Holy, much, what do you think? I this mean? is an amateur fight. Your first amateur fight. You're yeah, gonna be going dude, against you know somebody I, that's. You know how to do things. I mean, it's just. I like, understand. I don't even. <laughs> Sixteen weeks is so long that you will get hurt, heal okay. up, and then uh, hurt well, again. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna listen to you guys. So so eight we'll weeks. Eight mean. weeks max. Eight that's weeks why. That's why they don't do longer uh, fight fight camps than that because okay. you get hurt even in that eight weeks. You're gonna get hurt. It's just such a long time, and you're yeah. gonna be training hard and doing this and that. And okay, I would say eight weeks. Max. Well, I want to. I want to win. So. Oh, we're not. <laughs> we're not gonna give you anybody that's not a challenge. But right. I have no doubt that you're gonna win. Okay, I've trained okay. with you. We'll say you have. You have, and you're uh, a world class uh, MMA guy and striker. And uh, man, I'm I'm excited to see. 
getting back and doing your thing, man, and doing a doing a camp with you and Mike. And it's funny because I've I've told people around the country, yeah, I'm thinking about doing a like an amateur MMA fight. They're like, holy shit, we want to come. Why don't you do that? <laughs> Hell yeah. Premiere premiere in my fifties in local MMA. So. You know, who knows, man? We may sell out. Uh, we may sell out an MMA event locally with I'm just sure, my people. I'm sure <laughs> we could sell it out. And if they put it online, like they usually do, like the live pay per view, right. man, you could sell that out just because you have all the people around the world yeah. that most of us don't have. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you coming dude, on. Dude, absolutely. Always good to see you, dude. Yeah. Always good to see you. Thank you so much for having me and connecting me to your audience. And uh, I'll share this out and hopefully uh, we'll do this again. Hell yeah, for sure. Especially after, hopefully, fingers crossed, we you get this government contract. Yep. We can't say where, but yeah. Yep. Uh, well, y'all make sure to go check him out on Instagram and his website and get you one of these bad boys because they are good. And I wear mine everywhere, so make sure to get you one.